The summer of 1993 is etched into my memory as one of the most harrowing experiences of my life. I was a park ranger in the Midwest, responsible for the safety and preservation of our beloved natural landscapes. Little did I know that the historic floods that year would test not only our resolve but our very survival. It started with incessant rainfall, an unrelenting downpour that seemed to have no end. The rivers swelled and the floodwaters surged, threatening to swallow everything in their path. As a park ranger, my duty was clear, save lives and preserve parkland. But this flood was unlike anything we had ever seen. The days blurred together as we worked tirelessly, evacuating campers, rescuing stranded families, and battling the relentless waters that threatened to breach our levees. The parks we loved were submerged, and the landscape transformed into an unrecognizable expanse of water. But we couldn't afford to lose hope. Lives depended on our actions. One fateful afternoon, as I patrolled the flood-ravaged area on a small boat, I spotted something that defied explanation. It was a creature, standing about seven to eight feet tall, weighing an estimated 450 pounds. Covered in thick black fur, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was slimmer than the popular Bigfoot image, almost emaciated, with a distinct neck. But what truly set it apart were the long, tapered horns protruding on either side of its head, also black in color. On top of its head, another horn pointed straight up. All the horns were approximately five to six inches in length, and matched the same dark color as the creature. My heart pounded in my chest as I watched it from a distance. It moved with an eerie grace, navigating the floodwaters with a fluidity that belied its size. Its presence sent shivers down my spine, and I couldn't help but wonder if the flood had awakened something ancient and hidden in the depths of the wilderness. Before I could react, the creature darted into the nearby woods, disappearing among the trees. I was left in stunned silence, grappling with the surreal encounter. What had I just witnessed? Was it a creature of local legend, a survivor of the flood's fury, or something entirely unknown to science? As the floodwaters eventually receded, leaving behind a trail of destruction, I couldn't shake the memory of that enigmatic creature. It remained a mystery, a puzzle that would haunt my dreams for years to come. The floods of 1993 had reshaped the landscape, but they had also unveiled a secret, one that would forever remain locked in the depths of the Midwest wilderness. I must preface this story by assuring you that every word I'm about to share is true. It was an unimaginable thing that I, Jake, a father of two girls and an occasional outdoorsman, experienced deep in the heart of a remote mountain town near Texas. This is a story of a hunting trip gone horribly wrong, where my companions and I faced an unimaginable terror. It all began when a group of eleven seasoned hunters, including myself, gathered in the rustic town. The crisp autumn air carried whispers of elusive elk roaming the treacherous wilderness. Determined to conquer the challenge, we set out on an expedition to a hidden, unmarked location deep within the woods. As we trekked further into the wilderness, excitement coursed through our veins. However, our enthusiasm quickly waned as our compass inexplicably malfunctioned. The needle spun aimlessly, leaving us disoriented and vulnerable. 
A sense of unease settled upon us, as if unseen eyes were watching our every move. Undeterred, we pushed forward, relying on our instincts and experience. But the woods grew denser, and an eerie silence enveloped the landscape. Branches creaked underfoot, and the rustling of leaves seemed to echo with an otherworldly presence. Suddenly, chaos erupted. We scattered, separated by the onslaught of an enormous creature that emerged from the shadows. Towering and powerful, it resembled a beastly figure akin to Bigfoot, but far more menacing in stature. Panic gripped our souls as it hunted us down, one by one, with ruthless efficiency. I fought for my life with every ounce of strength and survival instinct I possessed. In a fierce battle, I managed to best the creature, but the victory was hollow. As its life force dissipated, it inexplicably evaporated, leaving only a pile of bones as a haunting testament to its existence. Bloodied and battered, I emerged as the sole survivor of the harrowing encounter. Determined to escape this hellish nightmare, I pressed on, searching for any sign of civilization. Exhaustion threatened to consume me as I wandered aimlessly through the dense foliage. And then, as if guided by some unseen force, I stumbled upon a surreal sight hidden within the woods, a set of stairs, seemingly out of place amidst the natural surroundings. Driven by desperation, I climbed those stairs, not knowing what lay ahead. To my astonishment, as I reached the top, I found myself standing in the very camp where our ill-fated journey began. It was a maddening realization, a loop in the fabric of reality itself. Time had folded in on itself, leading me back to the origin of our doomed expedition. Now, burdened with the knowledge of the horrors that unfolded in those woods, I find myself haunted by questions that may never be answered. What was the true nature of that creature? How did those stairs appear in the heart of the wilderness? Is this all just a cruel twist of fate? This story serves as a warning to those who dare venture into the unknown, for there are forces lurking in the depths of the wild that defy comprehension. As for me, I carry the weight of this experience, forever marked by the inexplicable events that transpired in that remote Texas town. My brother and I decided to go on a sailing trip. We're both Marines, so we don't get to see each other often. We made camp on a small island with a decently sized patch of trees. At 2 a.m. or so we heard a boat coming towards us. Our fire had died down, but was still visible. This was a remote area so it felt off that someone would be coming to our campsite. We grabbed our weapons and quietly went into the tree line. Some scraggly looking guy started rifling through our shit, then started walking toward our boat with a rope. I decided to confront him, and my brother stayed back. To alert this stranger to my presence, I pumped my shotgun and asked him what the hell he was doing in our camp. Before this guy could say anything, I heard another guy in the darkness beyond the fire scream for me to drop my gun, or he would kill me. Before I could react, my brother opened fire on the second guy, and I shot the first guy. I retreated back to the tree line, and my brother asked if I was good. I told him I was alright. We did a perimeter sweep, gathered our shit, and destroyed, sank their boat. When we got back to shore, we contacted the state police and told them what happened. They detained us until our story could be cleared, then released us. So glad we decided to go together, 
or there's a good chance one of us could have been killed. Edit. To clarify, both died after being shot. We sank the boat in case there were any others that hid after the initial confrontation to avoid being followed. We didn't take their boat because that would have looked really bad if we got stopped on our way back my brother and I were detained until our story could be verified. Once the evidence was gathered and processed, we were released. We found out the men had been convicted of assault and burglary multiple times. We were never charged with anything, but sought legal counsel in case it did happen. To those messaging me saying I'm a coward or murderer, put yourself in the situation we were in. A stranger comes to our camp, starts stealing, and when confronted, his accomplice threatened to kill me and leveled a weapon at me. I shot because I didn't know how many others my brother might be dealing with, and I wasn't going to turn my back to someone who clearly meant harm. In the context of the situation, it was threat non-threat. In this report, I wish to remain completely anonymous. I'm a police officer and I had a sighting of a strange humanoid werewolf-looking creature while patrolling a rural section of Baxter County, Arkansas. Another officer had spotted the creature at a four-way stop and I was sent to investigate. When I arrived at the location, the peculiar-looking humanoid emerged and started walking across one of the roads, disappearing quickly into the nearby brush. As it turns out, this area has a long history of werewolf-type activity, along with unexplained animal deaths and disappearances. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to assess the creature's size before it vanished into the wooded area. I conducted a search of the location and found several sets of tracks on the dirt roads, but due to recent rainfall, they were not clear enough to determine what might have been responsible. This report is the only official complaint from an officer thus far, although other officers from the same department have come forward to share their knowledge of the area. One officer even mentioned that his own grandfather had told him about a werewolf-like creature living in this vicinity. Due to its remote location, very few people ever venture there, and there had been no other reports until now. Since then, a string of stories about strange and disturbing creatures has emerged from around the world. Some reports, including those on sites like Reddit, mention sightings of werewolf-like creatures. While this is not a new phenomenon, as there have been reports of such beings for centuries in America, one incident stood out among the others. The incident involved a mother and child who witnessed what they believed to be a Bigfoot near their home just outside of town. They managed to position themselves with a camera and started recording. What followed would be familiar to those who have seen werewolves before. The description given resembled a dog or wolf suffering from mange, which causes hair loss and other physical ailments. However, there was an important note the apparent foul smell emitted by this sickly-looking animal. Yes, dogmen, Bigfoot, and werewolves have all been associated with strong odors, and this particular sighting seemed highly likely, considering the location. Similar sightings have been reported in these parts, and the locals are aware of what they might be encountering. Another report involved two separate officers, each with their own stories about encounters while patrolling this specific part of Arkansas. Most of these encounters took place at night, and although there is little information available about them, 
Witnesses commonly describe the creatures as being around 5 to 6 feet tall, gaunt, and thin. Glowing eyes are also frequently mentioned, which seems to be a common characteristic among these types of encounters. One officer shared that while in the same area, he observed something moving swiftly into the trees. At first, he thought it might be an animal, but then he heard another report over his radio about a Bigfoot sighting nearby. This proximity unsettled him, making him uncertain about what he had truly witnessed. In yet another report, a pilot flying his small plane around 5 a.m. encountered what appeared to be a massive, hairy creature. Several other pilots in the rural region of Arkansas had also spotted it. According to the officer, residents of these areas have been sharing stories for years about encountering these strange creatures, and some claim to know people who hunt them. Among the most intriguing encounters, I found one involving a police officer from Cowling County. He responded to an animal complaint near the town of De Quincey one evening. As he arrived at the scene, he saw two sets of eyes peering from behind a nearby tree, emitting an extremely bright glow. This was his first sighting of what he believed to be a huge canine-like creature. However, when it opened its mouth and let out an otherworldly growl, he backed away in fear. The officer described the creature as approximately eight feet tall, covered in dark smoky fur. Lastly, the final sighting occurred on Highway 165 near Wilmer, where another officer had responded to a call about children claiming to have seen a Bigfoot or werewolf-like figure. According to their description, this entity had very long arms, hands resembling those of a raccoon or a human, and it was enough to frighten the officer away from the scene. At that time, I was a Presbyterian minister, visiting the bustling city of Chicago with my young son. Our purpose for being there was to explore the wonders of the Museum of Science and Industry, a place that promised to ignite our imaginations and inspire our curiosity. Little did we know that our visit would take an unexpected turn into the realms of mystery and intrigue. As we navigated the labyrinthine corridors of the museum, marveling at the exhibits that unfolded before our eyes, we inadvertently strayed from the well-trodden path. The hallways seemed to twist and turn, leading us deeper into the heart of the building, away from the familiar attractions that drew the attention of other visitors. Lost in this maze of unfamiliar territory, we stumbled upon a room that seemed out of place, as if it existed in a different dimension from the rest of the museum. The air hung heavy with an aura of secrecy and anticipation. Our eyes were drawn to a large glass case that stood in the center, its contents obscured by a veil of curiosity. As we approached the case, our senses tingling with anticipation, we were confronted by a sight that defied explanation. Within the glass enclosure lay small humanoid bodies, their forms eerily preserved for all eternity. They possessed a delicate fragility, yet their presence emanated an otherworldly energy that sent shivers down our spines. Before we could fully process the gravity of what we were witnessing, a group of men descended upon us, their purpose as enigmatic as the beings encased in glass. They demanded my immediate attention, forcibly guiding me to a secluded corner of the room. Papers were thrust before me, demanding my signature without explanation or respite. Fear mingled with confusion as I complied, their stern gazes leaving no room for defiance, 
I was granted no opportunity to question or resist. The ordeal was over as abruptly as it had begun, and we were allowed to leave, the weight of secrecy heavy upon my conscience. Confounded by the enigmatic encounter, my young son and I departed the museum, carrying with us a story that defied conventional explanation. Years later, in 1974, my son, now grown, recounted the bizarre incident to Shern Larson of the Center for UFO Studies. The memories resurfaced, a reminder of the extraordinary circumstances we had encountered within the Museum of Science and Industry. The details were etched in our minds, forever ingrained in our family's history. To this day, the questions linger. What was the significance of those small humanoid bodies? Who were those men that compelled me to sign those mysterious papers? The answers remain elusive, hidden within the depths of an enigma that continues to captivate the imagination of those willing to explore the uncharted realms of possibility. In Yellowstone, a few weeks back I listened to your podcast covering human and animal killings. Super creepy, especially if men are really being found killed like cattle. So of course I tell my hiking buddies all about the episode as the sun sets and really freaks them out. The night is nice, stars are out. The next day I came across a dead rodent right in the middle of the trail that looked to have all the signs of animal killings. Eyes are removed, there's a hole at the back of his head that appears to be black or burned. Eye sockets also have a black burned look to them. I obviously didn't check if his spine and organs were there, but there was no blood and no insects on the body. Who knows if that was just like the work of bugs and sun, but I thought the timing was so stange. I have a video of this animal I'll upload later if I have time. But it is really strange because over thousands of miles I've seen plenty of dead animals in various states of decay, but this rodent looked perfectly preserved except it was missing eyes and there was just that hole at the back of his head, maybe half an inch wide that appeared blackened and cauterized or burnt. I've never seen this before, and there's the timing of it all. Places totally have vibes to them. Some places that we walk through are straight up hair raising, and I can never figure out why, yet I've confirmed it with other hikers. They'll usually ask hey did you feel weird back there, and they always go, yeah, I did, it just didn't feel right. One place in Utah comes to mind, it was a short day hike I did with my girlfriend in Canyonlands NP. Forget the name but the trail took you up the side of a old crater, I think they theorize it was a meteor strike ages ago, but don't really know. Anyway we got to a spot, sat down, and were immediately overcome with this incredible lethargy to the point where we both wanted to fall asleep on that rock. I'm a pretty disciplined hiker so I stood up and said we can't dally here. Oddly I also had this gut feeling that we shouldn't fall asleep there. And also weirdly my girlfriend said offhand in a joking manner to some other day hikers coming up the trail. Be careful up there, there's a vortex that will suck you in and put you to sleep. She meant vortex in the hiker context of a town that'll suck you in and keep you doing unplanned zeros. But still, odd choice of language right, and I'm reminded of cases of UFO and fairy abductions that start with people inexplicably falling asleep in the woods in the middle of the day. Speaking of weird places, the AT crosses through an area known as the Bennington Triangle. 
Going south, you'll cross over Glastonbury Mountain and then enter the town of Bennington. Apparently, there were four or five missing 411-style disappearances there in the 1940s. Google it. Really interesting stories. And the natives avoided the area because they believed devils lived on the mountain. When I walked through the day before I had written a blog post about how the trail was teaching me to follow my gut, and how following my gut always seemed to save me from storms and other things like that, and just generally turn out good. Well, this day I was planning to go through a small town called Manchester Center, then climb onto Glastonbury Mountain and camp on the mountain. In Manchester Center I eat a burrito and have the worst stomach cramps I've ever had. Tried using the bathroom to wait it out, nothing. So book a room in a motel. Literally, the second I've paid and get to the room, my stomach pain goes away. This was cramps so bad that I was walking hunched over that just disappeared in the matter of seconds. But I had already paid so I stayed. No diarrhea or anything that day. Everything 100% normal after I changed my plans. Climbed the mountain and went into Bennington the next day. Only after I realized that I would have been on the mountain on the night of the full moon. Is that relevant? No idea, but it just struck me as very, very odd how I wrote about following my gut, and then my gut literally forced me to not climb that mountain. Oh, on the way down is where the long trail and the at intersect, and that intersection is where a young woman disappeared in the 40s without a trace. Weird. Now that I'm thinking of weird places with bad vibes, I'm reminded of this small five-mile loop I do at home in Missouri. When I walk this, I usually always stopped about three miles in and turned around. No real reason, that's just what I always did. Went in there maybe four years ago with an ex-girlfriend, and we ate about one 5G of shrooms each. The first hours of the trip were great hanging out about a mile into the loop. Then we decided to hike more and entered the section that I unintentionally avoided. It was so strange. The only way I can describe it is that it felt like evil descended on us. I'm getting goosebumps as I write this. I felt this deep pit of despair and depression come out of nowhere, and I just knew that that year was when I was going to die. I knew that our relationship was over. We both got real quiet and didn't talk for about half an hour. Then came to this ledge, and I kept getting these horrible images of her running full speed, charging off this like 80 feet ledge. Then all of a sudden the oppressive energy lifted, and we both just burst out like, did you feel that what the hell? So she also felt that incredibly negative energy and felt that we were done. Our reactions were very interesting. We both felt like we should focus more on spirituality and develop a stronger spiritual base. I kept having the thought that, the greatest lie is that there is no good and evil in this world. If you believe this, then you're truly vulnerable to true evil. So after this experience we got into hypnosis a little. She could fall into trance very easily. One session I took her back to that day and she absolutely freaked. She said that we were attacked by a demon who attacked those who are undecided. Now I'm not religious at all and still am not. And I think this is her Catholic upbringing coloring her experience but I do think there was something very evil there that day in the woods. Also, it's fascinating that I just avoided that place intuitively right. 
Even with these experiences and all the content I listen to regarding the paranormal and missing 411, I don't feel at all threatened or in danger in the wild. I'd say 99% of my time out there, I feel as comfortable as if I were sitting on my couch at home. We were built to be in nature and the woods and the wild really are not a threatening place. Spend enough time out there and you truly will feel right at home. Night hiking alone is freaky at first, but like anything else you get used to it. It's very peaceful to just walk through the woods bathed in the little glow from your headlamp. It feels a lot like a voyage into another dimension. Funny enough I ended up getting off trail right when I hit New Mexico. Got gyardia and ended up puking and shitting my guts out. Dropped from 178 to 162 pounds in under two weeks. It did make me wonder though if my gut wasn't protecting me again. Because New Mexico and the reservation lands are famous for their skinwalkers, and I did feel like I was kinda stirring up their attention by writing and talking about them throughout my trip. But none of these is even close to the greatest danger out there. I came the closest to death I ever have on trail right before I left. This was San Juan's in Colorado, we were pushing through late in the season, and we got three straight days of freezing rain. It was horrible, one night everyone else got ahead of me, and I was pushing up a pass at 12.5 k feet, followed by a one mile ridge walk at 12 k feet. Pushed over the pass right as the sun set and freezing rain started up again combined with winds that were blowing 40-50 miles per hour. I'm so incredibly cold at this point, but there's nothing that can be done about it but to keep moving. You can't layer up beyond your rain gear because anything else will just become soaked and useless. Then my glasses start freezing in the rain and I'm getting a horrible refraction glare from my headlamp that combined with the clouds and freezing rain enveloping the mountaintop brings my visibility down to about a foot. Then I lose the trail so now I'm just literally on the side of the mountain hiking on the side of some pretty steep grades. Steep enough that if I were to lose my footing I'd slide or fall dozens if not hundreds of feet and possibly off a cliff because those are certainly abundant in the San Juans. At this point I can feel panic and bile at the back of my throat. But I know if I panic I'm dead so I just focus and keep moving in the direction where I think the trail is. Eventually I see the light from headlamps up ahead and it was my hiking buddies who were all huddled under a tarp. We never did make it to our intended campsite, and instead had a sleepless night huddled under the big tarp, all trying to stay warm. I've never been so cold in my life. When we finally got to town I realized feeling wasn't coming back into the tips of my fingers, and it took about a week before that numbness went away. Out of all the dangers in the wild nature tops it all, 